Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning church. Are you well? Come on, far too serious. Good morning. Are you well? Good. It is amazing. I feel great privilege to share and preach this week as always. And I'm really excited for this morning as we continue our last week we kicked off into the deep and um, if you're visiting and this week is new or you weren't here last week it's where we take a moment to look at our vision and what we're on about and and if you want to know our mission we're a simple people and we forget so we put it on the wall that's our mission we're called to reach those far from God we're called to raise people up in Christ and to release wide for his kingdom so if you forget just look right it's okay we don't mind you can look. That's why I put up, just in case the preachers forget. It's on the wall. We've had that. It gets awkward. But, um, and then we spoke about Simon, and he is this fisherman, just a fisherman, just an accountant, just whatever. Jesus decides to get into his boat. I don't fully know why. No one actually does. Why Simon? Why that moment? What did Jesus see in his life? What did he see in his boat? I don't know. I look back on my own life, and Jesus in a different kind of way, got in my boat at 14 years old. I encountered the King of Kings. At 14 years old, he pulled me in community and got me in a youth group where my life radically changed. I'm grateful to God for his grace, but it was the grace alone that did that and his goodness alone that did that. And then this Simon goes on a journey and all he does is say yes to Jesus. He's this fisherman who knows they fish at night in the shallows and Jesus gets in his boat and Jesus says, put your nets out in the middle of the day in the deep. And we spoke about the implications of the deep. Is that for most people, when you mention the deep, there's danger reality with it. Deep water comes with big fish. Generally, more than fish. Like sharks and all sorts of other things. Remember? That's what happens in the deep. But then there's also the greatest catch in the deep. There's the biggest potential of catch. There's all that. And when we're in the deep and we're with Jesus, all the possibilities change. And in this guy's life, everything changes. But all Jesus was looking for when he had the crowd in front of him, he was looking for a disciple. Jesus, Simon put his hand up and said, I'll be a disciple. I'll be someone who follows. I'll be someone who trusts. I'll be someone who go on that journey. And the possibilities of the disciples of God are far greater than we could understand or imagine. And what I'd like to do is, in the light of our mission, speak through something of our vision, which is into the deep at this time. So I want to speak about reaching far and what it means for us as we are reminded that there is a mission and we don't get to choose the mission. It's His mission, His mandate. He came to lay down His life to die. We get pulled into His mission. We don't choose the mission. Oh, not really feeling up for that one today, Jesus. It's like no one ever said that to a general. We're going to war today. Ah, not today. It's Wednesday. I don't. Wednesday is not like a war day for me, general guy. No one would ever do that in an army. And yet Jesus speaks, and all too often there's that kind of potential for an apathetic response. And we need to be reminded through the teaching of his word that God's pulled us into a big story. Hudson Taylor puts it this way, he is working to advance his grace in us, his gospel through us, and his glory by us. He will get his glory by us, and he's working to advance his grace through us, pulling us into his great story of the gospel. It's spectacular. And Matthew 11 says it this way, puts it forward that since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. 
meaning there's no neutral gear in the gospel. There's no neutral gear in the church. What do I mean? Well, if you, like me, grew up in Durban and fuel money was limited and you drove a Ford Cortina 3-liter. Yes, we know the jokes. That's what I drove. It was tremendous. The rust had eaten all the way through the left side. You could literally see the road passing. Your passenger got thoroughly soaked in any kind of rain. The lights were on one of these toggle switches. But I knew that if I was where I lived on the Berea on Ridge Road, I could get to the beachfront without putting my foot in the accelerator at all. I didn't need the accelerator. And you don't because it's downhill all the way. You can get there. Beaches on. Who cares how we're getting home? Beaches on. The challenge is sometimes in the church, we can get places, we can see things, we can pull off Sunday, we can do a whole bunch of amazing things without actually having to trust God, without actually having to put the accelerator and realize we've actually got to put this thing in gear. And Jesus challenges us as with this gospel, with his life, with every part of his mission that, well, surely every church is the same mission. Surely every church is the same idea, the same idea that actually our job is to advance the kingdom of God. And yes, it is. But there's a moment that clarity of vision is important. And even as I look around this room, some of you weren't here a year ago when we spoke around these things. So I'm going to use a story that worked last year, so hopefully it still works. It's an under seven rugby game. Let me set the scene for you. It's magnificent. It's my boy's first rugby game. Maybe second. I missed the first one, unfortunately. Don't want to lie to you. Then the ball gets gripped by his mate. But his mate has been told, you run. When you get that ball, you run. It doesn't matter who's in front of you. It doesn't matter what he looks like. You run. And this boy, he runs. And the parents are shouting, go boy, go boy. Until you hear the dad shouting, wrong way, wrong way, other way. And his son scores on the wrong side in the wrong goal. Let me tell you, sometimes at the church, we don't know what the goal line is. So we're running really hard. We're putting in lots of energy and effort, but we don't know what the goal line is. What did Jesus put before us as the goal line? What does a goal look like? Oh, we just do time in church on a Sunday. That's good. No, that's a tragedy. It's far too small. We get pulled into his gospel story. It is glorious. But part of what we need to be reminded is that there is a goal line. And we're going to get to choose. God has called us to go, to be his church and to do. And it's, it's, it's not what it costs. It's what it's worth. We said that last year. I want to remind you of these things because when it comes to reaching those far from God, it's not about what it costs. It's what it's worth. Twelve little tired kids under a mountain. No one in the world stood up and said, waste of money, just 12 kids. Hundreds of millions, the life of a Navy SEAL, all poured out. So what? Twelve kids could they save? Why? Because the world loves a rescue mission. And as believers, sometimes God's challenging us saying, you're counting the cost. The father didn't count the cost on the cross. Actually, he did, and he still chose it. He counted every bit of the cost. And I want to provoke us this morning as I believe that when God challenges us, he speaks to us, and God is a giver. He's calling us to be a people who reach far, geographically far. Yes, go and make all nations of the world. Mm, Asia, not really an option. Don't eat that food. Australians, yeah, Australians. <laughs> not Australia. America, mm, not a Donald fan. Like, I'll stay here. But God has a mandate to change the nations of the world, and our smallnesses and our prejudices can limit some of those things. What about spiritually far? Mm, Muslims, Hindus, 
no, no. Those that are spiritually far, like those who have never heard before. And we've had people, I've had people I've sat with, and they, I love the honesty of someone who's had no church experience. Like, read the book of Mark. Awesome. I've only got the Bible. It's kind of in the Bible. It's one of the books in the Bible. We laugh about that, but there's a whole bunch of people in the world who have zero clue who Jesus is. Jesus is some soccer player in Brazil. That's the world we live in now. And some of these realities have to challenge us, and there's risk attached to sharing the name of Jesus. But God pulls us into a big story. I'm passionate because I'm passionate about reaching people far from Jesus. Study done in 2015, about 7.6 billion people in our world. 2.1 billion would self-declare that they know Christ and are Christian. 5 billion don't. And if we believe what the word of God says, that heaven and hell are real, that eternity is a thing, a real thing, it's got to move us. It's got to shape how we live our lives. It's got to impact the realities of our lives and what moves our heart. It's got to. Otherwise, we don't believe, not me, what he says. And God challenges us. And I want to look at Jesus as he gives us something of a model for ministry. And whether you're an accountant, whether you are a builder, whether you are an educator, whether you are a domestic worker, whatever you do, you're a minister of the gospel of grace. Matthew 9, we see a couple of things. Jesus heals a paralytic. He then goes and he calls a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Matthew, he's questioned about fasting. He, he restores a little girl to life, and he gives sight to the blind. Just what Jesus does, this is what Jesus does. He gives us a model of ministry. And then we get this little section at the end of Matthew 9. I want to read it and share a few things from that as our things. Things from that. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest, into his harvest. First of all, first verse, and Jesus went through all cities, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. We see consistently through Jesus' ministry these three, these three ministry models. Number one, teaching. He taught in the synagogues. He was teaching to the religious, those in synagogues. He's teaching the word of God. He's pulling them and trying to reveal more and more of God. It's what we do on a Sunday. But it's not even isolated to the church. You carry the word of God in your life. I want to encourage you that every time you meet with someone, and maybe they're not in church, and maybe they're your boss, why don't you have one scripture for them? One thing that God has prompted in your heart, pray and ask, say, God, I want to have impact because I'm telling you the word of God itself teaches. And when we speak the word of God, we become teachers of the word of God. He pulls us into a story. Again, it's not the exclusive privilege of the guy in a pulpit. It's the privilege of every son and daughter pulled into the bigness of the gospel. And Jesus says, actually, there are these elements to teaching as applying the word of God to people's lives and seeing the life come. And then it says, proclaiming the good news, preaching the gospel, preaching it, proclaiming it. It's, it puts it this way. It says, teaching the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Preaching is different from teaching. 
It is in the announcement or the declaration of the good news. Again, not the privilege of this guy. It's the privilege of every son and daughter of the living God. In every sphere of life and everywhere we go, we carry a story that can save people. It's a challenge because it comes with a responsibility to share that story. And then it says, uh, Romans puts it this way. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful of the feet are those who preach the good news. How will people hear unless you tell them? I've had the privilege of leading many, if not most, of my best friends to the Lord at some stage of my walk. It's a great privilege and a great honor and not a boast at all. It's just the goodness of God. But then I started in a marketplace called the Unilever in a corporate world, a big corporate world. And there were these, this kind of work hard, play hard. Any of you got that in your corporate world? It's like work really hard. We're going to play even harder. And at the forefront of play hard was a guy named Clifton Smithers. He was the guy with a fancy credit card that had no limit. And the only time he got in trouble was when he didn't spend enough or he bought cheap wine to entertain the clients, the people, the staff. That was his mandate. He worked as a marketing guy. He's a job like man, but that, he's that guy. In the world of church language, not what you would call low-hanging fruit. You know what that means? It's like the guy going on the corner, street corner, I'm lost, I need Jesus. Can anyone help me? Ah, oh, low-hanging fruit. No, he's not that guy. He is on the high of his life. He is rocking. He is going for it. He's going places. And I thought, this oak, I don't know. I just... Didn't share the gospel with them. Until one day, about two years after I'd worked there, and Clifton had been going wild and literally was an animal, and, um, and in the nicest kind of way, he comes to me, and, and I hear Clifton gave his life to Jesus. I'm like, that's awesome. And then we meet up at the, at the, at the coffee, and I say, Bruce, I heard you at church. I heard you gave your life to Jesus. What's happening? And he starts out like this. He says, why didn't you tell me? And it's like, uh, like a, something that gets deep down inside. It's still, I uh, think of that moment. Like God did, it's the grace of God in that moment. But why didn't you tell me? We've got people around us who are living on the high of life, but it's a high that leads to death. And it doesn't have an eternal story and it doesn't even have a life and hope story this side of eternity. The end of last year, I did a funeral for a 15-year-old girl who committed suicide. In our area, there were three or four of them. Then I went away with pastors this week, and I'm sitting with a pastor, and I tell him about my story. He said, but you won't believe it. In the last three months of last year, I did three teenage suicide funerals. Three. People are hopeless. People need Jesus. I believe he is the hope of the world. I believe it with everything inside of me. I want to be someone who will tell them. And my privilege sometimes is to do it from this platform, but I trust it's not the only platform I would use. And I trust it's not the only one you see as possible. And then which is beautiful, Jesus teaches, he preaches, and then he heals. We believe in a God who heals. Physical healing, he will heal. Why? As a sign and wonder, yes, but also because he loves people. He loves them. And he's able to. I wish I could heal every sick person in the world myself. But I know a king who can. 
And he says, will you lay hands on the sick? Will you pray for them? Will you trust me? And then it continues in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What is a 15-year-old child doing committing suicide? Harassed and helpless. See, he puts in the context of sheep. And I've got a friend who's a sheep farmer now, so I'm learning things about sheep. You know what? Sheep don't need lions, tigers to come and eat them. They get themselves in trouble. They fall into ditches. They lose their center of gravity. They fall on their back. They cannot get themselves back up unless a shepherd intervenes and lifts them up. And whether a, 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 a what do you call those animals? Like a predator would come and feast on them or they just stay there till they die and their own body fluids drown them, they will die there without a shepherd. And in that context, he paints a picture and Jesus looks at the crowd. You see, sometimes, even for pastors, it's a tragedy. This is a crowd. I don't want to see a crowd. I want to see what Jesus sees. And sometimes it's horribly overwhelming because I know many of your stories but if not what Jesus sees, I, then I don't want to see. Because only when I see what Jesus sees with a compassion. I, I've had a wife who struggled with pain for two and a half years. And I think I'm growing in compassion. I don't think I was the most compassionate person. I've prayed for healing for years. But Jesus looks at the crowd and he, it's his compassion that moves him. I've got an eight-year-old son who is compassion to the T. When he was four or five years old, we'd walk in a room or a church. I got a minister, and I remember specifically one church in Brackenfield. He walked and saw a kid named Ando in a wheelchair. He spent the whole day with that kid. He did not leave his side. He stroked, while I'm preaching, he's stroking this kid's arm, telling him how amazing, how beautiful. He walks in a room and tells people how beautiful they are. And then I've got a 10-year-old. It's just a little different. And he needs Jesus <laughs> to reveal compassion to him. Because he'd try to take the wheelchair or something. I don't know. It's, uh... <laughs> but then verse 37 and 38. Then in all of this, Jesus stops and he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly into the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. It's amazing. This is Jesus, eh? The king of kings. He knows there's a harvest and he could preach himself. And every single one of them would get the chance to receive the greatest preacher in the world. The greatest revelation in the world. The greatest knowledge of the Father in the world. And yet he chooses to turn to some ex-fisherman, ex-accountants, and ex-doctor. This crew. And he says, there's a harvest. And he, the implicit to Jesus' words in his plan are, I'm going to reach the lost by sending out disciples, those who've gone on journeys to be like me. I'm going to send you out. It's a radical word, this, just, this word disciple. You know what's another radical word is lost. It's a Bible word. We don't put it on the billboard. Are you lost? I mean, my one mate did that at church. It wasn't popular because people don't think they're lost. It's the guy walking around the forest. And I'm fine. I'm fine. Three days later, I'm still fine. They don't like being told you're lost. The Bible does use that language, and that language has to grip us. 
It's got to grip us. It's got to move us. It's got to shape the realities of our lives. And we start making decisions differently. Why? Because there's a big story called the kingdom of God. And there's a big thing called a harvest for the king where he wants all his glory. And it's not about filling churches. Don't think we're calling you to share the name of Jesus so people come and sit next to you. I don't care if they sit in the Anglican church or the Methodist church. or I don't care as long as they hear the name of Jesus and we get to spend eternity together and the details we can work out in heaven. <laughs> I just want to see them there. And so does he. So does he. See, so he calls, and I want to go back to our into the deep story of Simon. You know what's amazing about Simon's story? He was fiery. He was angry. He got excited. He's that guy. He's a fisherman with red hair, basically like Gabe. And um, he goes from a fisherman to saying yes to Jesus, to this incredible catch he'd always wanted. And then he goes on this journey as a disciple. He, he sees Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. How cool is that? He, he gets, he's with Jesus and James and John on the Mounts of Transfiguration. I'm going, what a privilege. He's there in Gethsemane as Jesus fights his battle of facing up to Calvary, coming at him. And Simon, is, Peter, is there with him. But you know what the greatest privilege is? Is that for all that time, they'd only ever preached to the Jews. For all that time and for the early part of the book of Acts, they'd only ever reached the Jews. And then God says, I'm going to break into the Gentiles. If you've never been a Jew in your life, you're a Gentile. Raise your hand. Say, thank you, Jesus. Because I was a Gentile. And that guy, Simon Peter, gets spoken to in a vision by God that men will come. And he gets pulled in Acts 10 to the house of Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a man of standing, who's had a vision of God, a Gentile man, the enemy. And I think God did something so big in that journey, so moving of Simon's heart. Because these guys, the other disciples, still had prejudice. Still a challenge. God had to bring in Paul from the outside. Say, you're going to become the apostle to the Gentiles. But the first guy to reach a Gentile for Jesus, for the kingdom of God for eternity, was a fisherman named Simon who said yes to Jesus, moved by compassion to follow. God speaks, and he gets pulled into that big story. I want the big stories of God in my life. I don't want to be asked again, why didn't you tell me? I can't be asked again, why didn't you tell me? It would break my heart too much. And I got to sit with Clifton Smithers in December in Cape Town at a restaurant and hear what God has done. I'm so grateful for that. And God's mission will continue. Say yes as a disciple or don't. God's mission will still continue. Keep responding. Reach far or don't. Become a T-Rex Christian, which too many are settled in being. God's saying, my mission will still advance and I'm going to keep calling you. Some of you are like trying to understand what a T-Rex Christian is. I can check. Just, you know, a T-Rex, little arms. Can't really reach. It's a long story. I need to explain it to you one day. But God pulls us to be a people who reach. God leaves heaven. God, Jesus, Savior of the world, leaves the perfection of heaven to break into our story, to reach us. And then he says, I want to teach you how to reach. Not evangelism strategies. I've met evangelists who have strategies for days who don't have compassion on people. I've met faith healers who it's more about the principle of healing and if you do this and if you do this. And at the end of the day, I don't love anyone. And Jesus, I want to move you by compassion. I want to put my love inside of you so that your natural response is to make a life and build a life that reaches far for the glory of God. 
And I want to call us as I believe God is calling. God speaks and keeps challenging us that he's a good shepherd. This church was birthed by Jesus into the hearts of Wally and Shirley Gerstmeyer. So what's, we're 20 years old now. Next year's our 21st. We are going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> this church was birthed by an evangelist. His number one gift is not preaching. His number one gift is not clever strategies of church, how to do it so people come. He would go to pick and pay and checkers and fetch people and bring them to church. He'd go to the gym and fetch them, sometimes awkwardly in the change room. <laughs> he would play squash. He'd walk his street in Jenny Lane. You just happen to live in Jenny Lane. Sorry for you. You're going to get saved because Wally's going to love you. He had a life group on every night of the week because that's when they were available. There's a mandate on this church to reach those far from God. It is not a choice. It is not we get to choose that package of Christianity. It is a mandate also because it's on the heart of Jesus. And I've been praying a prayer in, the prayer in these last weeks. Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. See, this heart loves to become a bank vault that gets locked. This heart likes to lock down sometimes. This heart doesn't want to feel compassion all the time. I don't want to drive past crowds and go, oh God, I hope you're in there. I hope there's salvation coming. I pray. I, I don't want to. And yet God does that and he's going to do it with you. See, what lies in the deep with Jesus is people. And Impaley asked me this morning, he said, what's that scar on your arm? I've got a scar on my arm. I haven't told the story yet. Because when I was in grade 11, we were running around at a camp, and I was chasing a young guy named William Gars. And all my mates we were doing that, just a normal all-boys school activity. And William Gars ran through a window, and I lined it up, and I ran through the window next to it. That was actually a double pane of glass, because his window had been slid into mine. And I ran through their window, and it cut my arm so deep, everything was cut, everything had to be put together, blood was going all over the place. You know what my mates did? They ran away. They got in their sleeping bags because they were so fearful of getting in trouble with the masters that they disappeared. I have blood pouring out my arm. You know who came back? William Goss. And like a hero, he ripped his shirt off his body in half. He tourniqueted my arm. He went and fetched the master so that I could get in the car to get to a hospital. And I look at that story, I go, who were the likely saviors? Probably my mates who I knew and had invested. They disappeared. But a young man who'd just done a first aid course thought he could help. Got stuck in, paid a price, got my blood all over him, even though he was the one I was chasing. And I think sometimes in the church, we can run and call it a million things. But when we know the way to life, and really that's where this lands. Do you know the way to life? Because if you know the way to life, there is a mandate on the church. And by church, I mean every son and daughter of the living God. There is a mandate and there is a call to share that way. I don't want to be asked again. Why didn't you tell me? 1 Corinthians 9, the apostle Paul puts it this way. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to the win the Jews. 
To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. It's a challenging text. And the one that gripped me about a year and a half ago as I preached this text so many times, to the weak I became weak. We live in a world where weakness is not aspirational. We live in a world where we follow people of strength or profile because we think somehow there's something in that for us and everyone follows. Regardless of what the reality is behind the scenes. Weakness is not presented as something of strength and yet this apostle, this guy who had succeeded in his everything and then got pulled into a God story, says to the weak, I become weak. Challenges me. Challenges me. God says, I'm going to do miracles in your midst. And I'm going to pick on my mate. That is an amazing lady named Monora who encountered Jesus and pitched up one year a day. One day, about four years ago, three and a half years ago, and said to me, I've encountered this man in my dreams. Three times, a man in white. And I think you can help me find out who he is. I'm so grateful for that story. And then I did had the privilege of doing your wedding. And at her wedding, there were family members not there. Because she'd had to make big decisions for Jesus. But then another lady named Wachida over there needed someone to walk a journey of discipleship with her. Who had walked her exact same path because she was also Muslim. And God does this in our midst. And yes, we reach as a family and as a house and as a story. But I'm telling you, there is nothing more exhilarating than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to one person. Of telling them that he loves them. Of telling them that everything they have done can be washed clean by his blood. Every single thing. There is nothing more exhilarating than that. And he says, it's not the privilege of a preacher, a leader, a teacher. It's the privilege of every son and daughter. And I would ask you and I would challenge you at this time of stepping into the deep. Don't ask for a thousand names to go and pray for them every and tomorrow. Ask God for one. Say, God, show me the one today. Show me the one sheep that is harassed and helpless on his back. And maybe the world thinks they're in having a jaw. But show me the one and share the good news. Tell them of what God has done in your life. You don't need to test me of radical salvation or healing. You just need to know of the goodness of God. And I want to provoke that story to come out of you. Won't you stand with me this morning? We provoke and we challenge and we preach the gospel because we believe on the other side of every response there is a God possibility and potential. And for your life there is too, like there is for mine. Won't you put your hands on your hearts? I know it's a little weird. It's better than me asking your neighbor to put their hands on your heart, so we won't do that. That gets more weird. But, but won't we say this? Father, Jesus, break my heart for what breaks yours. Jesus, break my heart for what breaks yours. I pray, God, as a house and as a family on mission with the ultimate missionary, Jesus. I pray, God, move us with compassion again. 
shift us from comfort again, strip apathy out of us again. Let us see with eyes of Christ again that we wouldn't see crowds, that we would see sheep harassed, separated from the only way to life on this life and in the light of eternity. Move us, God, and I pray, open up the mouths. I, I pray that word to every person here. Do the work of an evangelist. Oh, I'm timid. Yes, so was Timothy. Oh, I'm weak. So was Timothy. Oh, I was not raised up for this. No, so was Timothy. And yet God called him to that story, and he's calling you and I. Preach the gospel with courage. Share his love with courage. Lay hands on the sick again with courage and allow compassion to flow in your veins. And I promise you, there will be the life of God and the courage of God pouring out in the abundance of heaven and the faithfulness of that king we worship. He is faithful, will pour out over your every endeavor because it's not your mission, it's his. It's not your story, it's his. He is faithful to his story. Move us, God, I pray. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Jesus, and get all the glory, King. We worship you, God.